Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last trial testimony episode, we finished our look at the testimony of Nicholas Smith, the individual responsible for bringing Kyle Rittenhouse to the businesses where the shootings began. On today's episode, we examine the defense team's direct examination of their witness, Joanne Fiedler, one of Kyle Rittenhouse's armed associates on the night of the shootings. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. On Tuesday, November 9th, 2021, shortly after Nicholas Smith completes his testimony, the defense calls Joanne Fiedler to the stand. Fiedler is 56. Her shoulder-length hair has full blonde highlights and is brushed back from her forehead. She wears a dark brown pantsuit and her shirt collar hangs over her jacket lapels. Fiedler tells defense attorney Corey Sharofsky that she lives about 70 miles north of Kenosha and works in manufacturing. Prompted by Sharofsky, Fiedler offers some pointed context to her reasons for being in Kenosha on August 25th, 2020. In the summer, prior to August 25th of 2020, um, there's been conversations and testimony about civil unrest throughout the country. Was that something that you were paying attention to? Yes. And can you tell the uh, jury what you were thinking about it? What, if anything, you did about it? Things like that. Well, I understood um, when BLM wanted to march, we were all with them and everything, but then they started destroying their own communities. And I didn't believe in that. That really struck me hard. And then uh, the 71 year old business owner that got beat down, that bothered me a lot. Veterans bothered me a lot and the elderly bothered me a lot. And children, of course, too, but that just didn't sit right with me. And, and you keep hearing everybody always saying, somebody's got to stand up, somebody's got to stand up. So was there anything based on the your feelings that you did in relation to that? Can you repeat that? Sure. Was there anything that you had actually done? Uh, any groups that you started, anything oh, you participated yeah. Yeah. in as it relates to um, kind of what you were observing? And yes. Actually, we started a, a Patriot group. It's uh, United Citizens for Patriotism. We wanted to show support for the country, um, support for the police, because you know, they were asking to be defunded. Um, support for all the emergency workers that were going out there into these riots, uh, cleaning up, firemen, so just everybody that serves their country, our community services, and just show support for them. And we just stood out with our flags to let everybody know that, you know, we were thinking of them, we were there for them. We tried to do food drives. Um, we tried to get the fire department involved. 
Uh, we got the police involved, but everything was limited or they were, weren't able to bring out their trucks to do community things because of COVID. Fiedler indicates that she became associated with Ryan Balch during the activities of her United Citizens for Patriotism group, but that she did not meet Kyle Rittenhouse until August 25, 2020. On the afternoon of that day, she and an associate met up with Ryan Balch at a park and ride on the way to Kenosha and arrived in the city at around 7 p.m. with the intention of protecting businesses from vandalism and arson. Sharafasi then asks Fiedler about her activities that day. Where do you go uh, in Kenosha? Do you remember? Yeah, we came down um, Sheridan and we wound up at the car, car source on 63rd. And when you got there, um, who was there? Uh, Nick was there. He had the... Oh, Nick is Nick Smith? Yes. Did you know Nick Smith before you got there? No. Okay, so you met Nick Smith that day? Yes. Okay, so Nick Smith is there. Yes. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Um, I seen him. We got out. Uh, he came up, introduced himself, and then we met. What he, what Nick introduced us to, was the owner of Car Source. Do you recall that person's name? I didn't. He gave me like the full Indian name. I couldn't. I would be able to repeat that. I don't recall. Okay. Um, when he entered. When he was introduced to you, did he do anything? Did he just shake your hand? Did he just look at you? What did he do? Oh, yeah. He was happy to see us. He was crying. He was thanking us. And I, I even commented, I heard you've had cars that burnt down because we did drive by that when we came up to that business. And he, uh, excuse me, he had told us that he had over 100 cars that were burnt that night. So no, I'm sorry. When you said he was crying, there's various, there's crying Happy crying, sad crying. Do you recall? No, it was sad crying. He was, well, I, I, I don't know if it was sad or happy. I, I know he was happy to see us, but I know he's sad about his under cars, you know, the situation. Sharafasi puts up on the court TV screen the now familiar photo that includes Nicholas Smith, Ryan Balch, Kyle Rittenhouse, and the son of the car source owner, Sam Kindry. After asking Fiedler to identify herself, he indicates Sam Kindry in the photo and asks, Did the person on the far left, the owner of the car source, did he ever tell you to leave? Did he ever, did he ever say that to you? No, not at all. Did he ever tell you that you were trespassing? He didn't, he didn't want you there? No, not at all. So you leave and where do you go? Uh, we walked up to the 59th in Sheridan business. It was kind of kitty corner where he had all the cars burnt down the night before. Okay, and who, if you recall, went with you? Um, that was Nick and me and Dustin and Danton and Ryan. I think there was another kid in there, which I don't recognize, and then Kyle and Dominic. Now, if you know, was there, a, was there a, any discussion about... You said that the owner said, or somebody said there were three locations. Was there, was there a plan to protect all three? Were you just assigned to one? Do you know how that kind of played out? As far as I recall, it was just to protect the one on the 63rd in Sheridan, and the other one was on the 59th in Sheridan. And you went to the 59th? Yes. So when you get to the 59th in Sheridan, are you 
are you armed? Yes. Okay. And what what do you, what kind of what are you armed with? I carry a three eighty pistol. Okay. So in that picture, is that pistol somewhere on your person? Um, I don't know if it was yet. But you're not disputing that you have one. No, I'm not disputing that at all. Okay. And when you go to the 59th Street car source, where are you located? Meaning, do you, are you? We've heard testimony about people on the roof, people on the ground. Where are you? Oh, I'm on the ground. And can you tell us who else is on the ground with you? Um, Kyle, Dustin, Ryan. Yeah, the four of us were on the ground. So how close to you is Mr. Rittenhouse at the 59th Street address? Five, maybe five or ten feet to my left. Is he doing anything? Is he staying there? Is he leaving the property? What is he doing? No, he was staying there. We were all staying there. Okay. Um, there's been conversations about, and I'll ask you if you look at that picture, there's a that little orange box in front of him. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Was there any time during that evening that you saw him doing anything other than simply standing there? Oh, yes. Okay. Can you tell us what you saw? Yeah, I'm sorry. He, um, there was other people that did walk by before like the bigger crowd of the protesters came through and he was offering medic services we had a girl walk up that i don't know if she broke her ankle or twisted her ankle that he actually helped bandage her up so she could walk out because her boyfriend had to kind of carry her and when he did that when he was doing that um did he ever ask you for any assistance in terms of as it relates to his firearm yes and what did he ask you to do he just asked me to hold on to his gun, and I did. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Shirafasi then puts an image on the screen of Joseph Rosenbaum. Do you remember him from that night? Very distinctly. Okay. Can you tell the people on the jury why you remember him? I remember seeing him with his red shirt, and the thing that caught me was the green earring. And this was when BLM had just come down in front of us, and there was some other gentlemen that were talking with Ryan. They were talking, things were calm. And then I saw him, and um, it was kind of a back and forth because I had some of the female protesters that were standing in front of me, taunting me. So they wanted, they were doing Black Lives Matter, right? And I just wasn't taking a side. I was just there to protect a business. So I would look and survey and go to them. And I would look and survey and I would see Rosenbaum um, standing there. And I saw all the plastic bags in his back pocket. I didn't know what it was. Um, and then, can I, can I go on? Well, it is there anything that he had said that evening that 
you took notice of or would remember? Yeah, that's the part I was kind of getting to is, okay. um, I know you guys call him Mr. Yellow Pants, and that's kind of what we called him. He jumped up on the car, and everybody started screaming, get off the car, and Black Lives Matter was screaming, and he was shouting, and Rosenbaum started shouting back at us that he's going to, pardon me, judge, for saying this and everybody else, but he was going to kill us motherfuckers, motherfucking and cut our hearts out. The gentleman on the screen there said that? Yes, multiple times. What was your group's response to that, if any, when he said that? None. We just, you kind of are frozen at the verbiage and the threats coming out of him. I mean, the whole night was quite shocking, but we didn't really do anything. We just kind of stood there. You, you have to ignore that. Was there anything um, else that you saw him do uh, that you remembered? Yeah, um, Yellow Pants was screaming. I saw that. I was going back to the uh, ladies that were taunting me and going back and, and looking at him. And as I looked at him, I saw his arm go up and like something, like he lobbed something. And then within seconds, my eyes started watering, my nose started watering, I started coughing. Um, I, I didn't know what a chemical bomb was. I didn't know, and I just heard guys screaming, chemical bomb, chemical bomb. Shirafasi next asks the witness about the defendant's actions that night. That evening, did you, while he was in your purview, your sight, did you see uh, Mr. Rittenhouse threaten anyone? Oh, no. Did you see him point his gun at anyone? No. After you see Rosenbaum, and he does what you say he does, uh, do you see Kyle stay there, or does he leave that location? Uh, it was later in the evening after uh, the police finally moved him down. We were all standing outside because we kind of thought it was over. And then you just heard the ruckus going on down by the gas station. I think it's the ultimate. And then we heard gunshots. And that's when Kyle and... Uh, Ryan, then they left. Are you are you telling me that you heard gunshots and then Kyle left? Yes. Later in the night, was there a time that you were aware that Kyle tried to get back to you? Oh, yes. And couldn't? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. So we did see him because I, I was standing right along the wall. So I was like the first person when you came up to the business. So I was standing up front and I was watching because the Bearcats were all right there by the intersection and the gas station was right on the other corner. So he did come back. He had his hands in the air and he even said, I'm working over at that business over there. I could hear him telling the police that. And they told him, no, turn around. You can't go through. You have to get back. And we were even yelling, let him through, let him through. Did you see him then turn around and go back? Yeah, I thought he was going to go back to the ultimate gas station. It looked like he was going over there, so... Is that the last time before the shooting that you saw him? Yeah. Now, from your location, you don't see what happened with Mr. Rosenbaum, Mr. Huber, and Mr. Grosskreutz, right? Yes, correct. Do you see Kyle after that? Yes, I do. When? Um, I think after... Everything had happened. Um, 
he had come back up. I heard from the guys on the roof. They're like, open the door. It's Kyle. So I opened up because we had to keep the front door locked. Um, I opened up the door. He kind of came running in and kind of fell into me. And there was a chair right there. So he sat down there. I saw him, saw him after everything had happened. How did he look to you? Uh, totally in shock. Can you give me some physical uh, descriptors that would make... Yes, I'm sorry. Kind of um, you... He was pale, uh, uh, shaking, uh, kind of stuttering, stammering his words. He was sweating. Do you recall him saying anything? Yes. He he had come in and he did say, he looked at me. He said, he said right out that he had shot someone and he kind of sat down in the chair and he was looking for his brother. He's asking for his brother, Dominic. And he sat down. I remember him pulling his hair back. And he's pulling it back really hard. And just his comment was, my God, my life might be over. And just, we're just like, okay, calm down. Did Kyle respond to anything that was said? Yes. What was that? That was that he had to. After he said that, do you know, did you stay? Did you leave? What happened? No, um, he wanted his brother, Dominic. And I know Dominic was on the roof. Um, I took his gun. Uh, like I said, he was just shaking. So I took his gun. I ran out back. Uh, I set his gun on one of the trucks out back. And then I went up the ladder and I called the guys and I yelled, Dominic, get down here. So he came down. And when I came back in, they were talking. And My last question or two is you had said that you had used, uh, you had climbed up a ladder to get up on the roof. Yeah. You just said that. Okay. Um, where did you, do you know where those ladders came from? Um, no, I know we went in the business when we first got there and they were all in the back. So it's like a building and then it's like a back parking lot that's fenced in. Okay. And in that back, fen uh, back fenced in areas where they have the sheds and all that. Nick went in there and pulled everything out and that's how the guys have got up on the roof in the back. With that, Corey Shiravasi concludes his direct examination of Joanne Fiedler, and we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we take a look at the prosecution's cross-examination of Fiedler. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.